You are listening to the Phenom World Football Show on the Phenom Media Podcast Network, powered by the most passionate young sports analyst in the game. If you're looking for creative, informative, and high-quality sports content, you've come to the right place. Phenom Media boasts a team of over 100 youth contributors from around the world, covering every sport on every media platform. Make sure to follow Phenom on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as all of the Phenom podcast channels for daily content. The link tree in the episode description includes a direct link to all of the aforementioned platforms, so click on that to access everything. If you enjoy the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so more people can discover the podcast. Now, let's get to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to the World Phenom World Football Show. Uh, I'm Kurt. I'm joined by Ethan. We have our Zoom names as representing our favorite clubs. I got We Beat the Champs. Ethan's got Manchester's Blue. Pretty good weekend for both of us as we'll dive I into the Premier so. League talk. But first, before we get into the Premier League talk, I want to talk about some MLS drama. Uh, don't really want classify as drama, but Greg Vanny, uh, the former Toronto FC manager, is now the head coach and manager of LA Galaxy. So I talked about this a little bit in our award football chat. Um, kind of, you know, that's the chat where we conduct ideas, talk about things. So I sent this and I was like, this is, everyone knew this was coming. If you follow MLS, Greg Vanny to LA was always going to happen. And I don't know why people thought that, you know, even a month or two ago that it wasn't going to happen or that maybe it doesn't. Cause the moment that he stepped away as Toronto manager, it was evident he was going to go to L.A. in a heartbeat. And I said that because, one, he played for L.A. makes total sense. Two, L.A. is a big market team. And three, I would suspect he's getting a little bit more money. Not that the money matters, but obviously it's tempting if you're getting offered more money. Um, it was weird, though, because Toronto has always been one of the most dominant teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, they made the final in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals however many times. And they've obviously played Seattle, you know, the, however, I think three times in the final in the last couple of years. Um, so, obviously, Toronto's been fantastic. But in 2020, a weird year, they lose to Nashville in, I think, the first round as a two-seed. Nashville was the seventh seed. And they were eliminated just like that. It was a pretty shocking instance. Um, but – you know, Vanny leaves after that, and the rest is history. You know, he says he wait, wants to wait a couple months, wants to go to L.A., or not. He said he wants to think about the decision, but I interpret that as I'm just going to let some time pass over before I go to L.A. Um, so there's not a whole lot to say about this. I think me and you both suspected this, and I'm going to guess you're going to have the answer that I have, which is he's going to do very good in L.A. Yeah, I think um... – LA, they've got a ton of talent. Um, one of the one of the better, if not the best, um, youth programs uh, in the MLS with the Galaxy Two, um, that was kind of masterminded by Bruce Arena. Um, yeah, LA is in kind of a rare cold stretch. Um, talked about it earlier, Shalado uh, as a manager had a losing record, which is something that they're certainly not used to over there in, in Southern California. Uh, Galaxy has always been widely successful. Um, making MLS Cups, winning MLS Cups, getting people like 
David Beckham and Zlatan Ibrahimovic to play for them. Um, but I think that when Giovanni Shalato left, um, the Galaxy Brass kind of only had one man in mind for the job, and that man was Greg Vanny. Obviously played 10 years for them, um, contributed a lot to that club. Um, so I think it's it's a good move for both both the club and uh, for the manager, for Greg Vanny, um, for a change of scenery. He was very successful at, at Toronto, as you said, making multiple MLS Cups, and he had a lot of talent over there too as well, guys that consistently got capped for uh, their respective national teams. But uh, I guess it's time uh, for a change of scenery for him, and I, I would assume that it would end out uh, to be a good move for him. I think it's going to be a good move, um, and that's the thing is it's like, he says, and I understand where he's coming from. He was like, you know, LA very, you know, intrigued me because I want to build this whole project. That's what I love to do being a manager. And that's not where I, because I don't want people to think I'm hating on Greg Vanny because I'm not by any means. He's a fantastic manager, did unbelievable with Toronto, and he's going to do great with LA. But I said this to you, I said this to the chat. It's like, don't necessarily just find like reasons to say you want to manage LA when we all knew it was just because of the three reasons I kind of listed before, especially the one of it was his homegrown team. He wants to kind of manage the team he grew up loving and being with. Um, obviously he probably enjoyed and loved his stint in, in Toronto, but you, you have to figure in the back of his mind, he always wanted to go to LA and always wanted to manage them. But like you said, they've been, they've had managers like Bruce Arena, you know, and, other guys where he didn't really have that opportunity to be the LA manager, but now it's the opportunity and he was not going to think twice about it. So just wanted to point that out. And before we head to our Premier League talk, I think that he's going to do great. He loves building out of the back, like any successful manager and kind of, you know, taking on the front for it. So we'll see how he does with um, LA, but I want to talk now about the Premier League. Uh, first off, I want to talk about my Southampton and how they played against Liverpool. I think that uh, it's deserving of the first topic of the Premier League. Um, so Southampton did not expect them to beat such a great team in Liverpool. Um, obviously, we haven't been on a bad run of play, but it hasn't been what we've seen from the first kind of couple games of this team. Um, you know, we've drawn a lot. We've lost a couple games. But against Liverpool, we got an early goal from Danny Ings in the second minute. And then after that, we parked the bus and we did not allow Liverpool to go through. Obviously, there was the whole penalty controversy. Um, obviously, I'm going to say it's fine. It wasn't a penalty. But, uh, you know, obviously, I could understand why you think so. But the whole point of it is Southampton won that game. And it, the bigger focus point is Liverpool are not the sole champions and easy front runners, as we described. You know, we said... Manchester United was going to kind of ruin their opportunity of being, you know, I guess on top of the table. Um, I think a couple of people in the chat have said, and obviously it's the most Manchester United thing ever to like have the opportunity to get to the top of the table and you kind of botch it. But here they are again. They're a game. They have a game in hand. They're tied on points in Liverpool. There's a great chance that they even with the draw are now in first place in the Premier League, which is crazy to think because obviously for the year, a lot of people were like, oh, Ole Gunnar Shoshire isn't the guy. This Manchester United team needs a lot of work, but now they're doing really well. So what do you think of this whole thing? And if you think, do you think Liverpool are still going to end up as champs? Yeah, I mean, this this loss to Southampton, um, I think that's, it's not really a Liverpool loss. As well. I mean, I think Southampton was just 
the better team. You said striking early and then a fantastic defensive performance and, and a very well-coached game, I'd say. But, yeah, this really does blow the title race wide open. Um, United only a point back with the game in hand, so if they get a result for that point uh, on goal difference with a draw and uh, with with a win, obviously, that would take them top of the table by two points. Um, you look farther down the table, uh, Leicester are level on games, uh, but still only a point back. Uh, Tottenham, uh, another three points back of them, again, with a game in hand. So if they win that, they jump up to third. And then Sid, this is where it gets a little more interesting. I think City has only played 15 games as opposed to the 17 uh, played by Liverpool. And, and they're only, I believe, five points back. So if they get two wins from two, which looking at their, their past form, they've won their last three games. Um, one of them being against a very solid Chelsea team um, when City did not have a striker, um, then that would see them uh, towards the top of the table again. So, like I said, it seemed that Liverpool was completely coasting to this title. Um, but right around halfway through the season, things are are certainly starting to to heat up. And I think it's kind of anyone's game heading towards uh, these winter months. Yeah. Um, would definitely be interesting to see what happens. Like I said, it's a pretty wide open race now. And I think that's where we find the most exciting because we talked about this on the last podcast. A lot of years in the past, we haven't really seen an exciting title race. This is the year. Even in a weird year like COVID, we're going to get a good title race and you can't really be too upset or, you know, you have to be happy about that. I'm excited for it. Um, So we talked a little bit about Manchester United. Um, but they just played today in the EFL Cup against Manchester City. You know a lot about it as a Manchester City supporter. Um, so I'll kind of let you take the floor on this one. Obviously, you guys won 2-0. You pretty much dominated it um, from start to finish. And I will say, my guy, Zach Steffen, did incredible. He's a stud, you know, USA represent. Um, what, what did you think about that whole game? And, you know, obviously, as your name says, Manchester is blue, especially in this game. Yeah, I mean, Derby Day, always exciting, no matter if it's in the Carabao Cup or in the league. Um, you're always going to get a great game, and we did today. Um, first half, um, for this is going to be from the perspective of a City fan, because I'm not exactly impartial, um, as you can probably tell. Um, I thought the first half was decent uh, for both sides. Both teams generating chances, um, big saves, um, especially from Zach Seffin, made a fantastic save on Bruno Fernandez on this long curling shot from outside the box that would certainly beat. Uh, a lot of other keepers, so promising stuff uh, as we head into uh, the national team camp. Um, but John Stones, able to grab a goal. Um, I think he's been fantastic this season. Him and, you know, we spent over 200 million pounds on defenders in the past couple of years, so that's been an area where we're really trying to address, obviously, and I think that Pep might have finally found his pairing. Uh, and then Fernandinho gets on the score sheet, gives us a bit of an insurance goal uh, later in the game to seal the win, and we are on to Wembley uh, to, I believe, face Tottenham. Um, if that, I, I'm not sure if that game was played today, but uh, even if it hasn't, they are playing a champions, a championship side in Brentford. And, yes, they got a 2-0 win uh, today against Brentford, so setting up uh, an exciting Carabao Cup final uh, between the Spurs and Manchester City. And the thing is, that game is not even to, like, three months away. So, like, it – I mean, obviously, it's not like a huge deal, but it's like, oh, I'm excited to see such a cool EFL Cup final, and then you realize it's in three months. I mean, um, I'm not, I'm not going to crap on the EFL Cup. I think silverware is silverware, but, you know, I do think that it's so far away because managers kind of need to focus on the Premier League, uh, especially in these, uh, these upcoming games. But when we get to it, it will certainly be an exciting match. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I agree with that. Is there anything else you want to add on with the Premier League? I mean, I think we kind of covered it for the most part, especially the teams we should talk about. Look, here's what I'll say is, again, from one to seven, it is a four-point gap. That's insane. Like, yeah. I'm excited. But that's really – no, go on. Yeah, no. Another another annoying Man City stat, I'm sure, for people. But, I mean, it's just been such a weird – this is just an example of, like, this bigger theme of it being such a weird year. Teams not playing the way they normally play. City, at this point in the season last year, had scored 18 more goals than they did now. But this mm-hmm. is also City's best defensive record up to this point. So it's just been so wacky. And just to, to see some things that happen, I guess, are – are very 2020-esque and I guess 2021-esque now as we as we enter this new year. Exactly. Um, so uh, a strange season indeed, but we finally get a title race. So uh, I will certainly take that any day of the week. Exactly. 2020 was weird. We hope that 2021 is not extremely weird. Um, but to move on, since we've talked about Zach Steffen, he is the obviously the goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team. You won't be seeing him on the upcoming – uh, January camp, and that's because it's going to be basically an all MLS one because, like we talked about, European teams are still playing in their leagues and they're unable to kind of send. It, it's happened in the past, and it shouldn't be really surprised that it's going to be only MLS players, but I want to list them off. Um, so we got Sean Johnson, Matt Turner, Tristan Blackman, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Killian Acosta, Sebastian Legette, Christian Roldan, Josie Outstore, Paul Ariola, Jordan Morris, and Chris Muir. So you, I say that it's an only MLS camp, but I think Berhalter picked a very good 12-man roster. And look, like I've said this before. I don't like Berhalter, and I, I've said this rant so many times, but I don't think this podcast heard it. So I will say to you guys really quick in a one-minute spill, I was okay with Berhalter, but the thing that really annoyed me with the USSF, USSF and just the whole federation as a whole is because after that – awful day in Trinidad in 2017 we fired Bruce Arena easily I mean there was no shock in us doing that it was evident and we go on this huge spill on that tragic day will never happen again and we're going to spend a whole like large time figuring out who this next manager is going to be I was okay with that especially like I said with a very embarrassing loss to Trinidad no offense to Trinidad and you realize it can't happen again so we spend how long a year almost a year yeah, i think it was a f- almost a full year yeah close to that which is fine i've said so many times it's fine but just to get greg berhalter and you could have got greg berhalter easily in a month or so and that obviously you're losing 10 months with him at, on your team that's what made me upset so i will i've said that many times but i want to say it to the podcast but regardless what, say what you want about berhalter i just said that he has picked a very good roster in these last couple camps, especially the one in November, was it? When we played against Wales and was it Panama? Um, I believe so. I don't know. I think it was November. I'm going to go with that. Maybe it was October. Who knows? Um, anyway, I thought he picked a really good camp there. It's a good camp here. A lot of good players on this MLS um, team i'm very excited to see chris mueller very excited to see killian acosta because he was huge a couple years ago and kind of what happened to him um aaron long has always been good jordan morris and then we got um paul Ariola come back from uh injury so is there anything you're excited to see from this u.s men's national team campaign that you're going to kind of watch out for it's shocking we talked about this before the pod but like 
we're three days away since they're supposed to go to the camp and they don't have an opponent time or place they're going to do it. So I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That is certainly a strange situation, but like you said, uh, I think a solid, well-rounded roster put together by Greg Berhalter um, with the, with the limited player pool that he had to choose. I know this is obviously not a, a full, what would be the full strength uh, men's national team side, but what I'm more interested in is the U23 camp because the majority of the most promising American youngsters are either in Europe already or they are preparing to move to Europe. You know, all, you lift all those guys, the, the Christian Pulisic's and the Giorenas and all those guys are already playing in Europe. Um, so it's, it's always interesting to me to see what the difference is between guys that same age that decide, either decide to stay in the MLS or just haven't received the European offer yet. And it's interesting to compare how those two play because I think sometimes – the, US, the, the players that um, decide to stay in the U.S., for example, Jordan Morris is the perfect example of this. He had offers from multiple clubs in the Bundesliga a few years ago, um, but he turns them down, stays in Seattle, and sure, he's done fine, but you just think that, like, with the best coaches in the world, what type of striker would he have turned into? So it's interesting to compare um, how the players that decide to stay in the U.S. versus the players that are playing in, in the top five leagues in Europe do. Um, when going against the, the top competition that the international stage has to offer. Exactly. I completely agree. Um, we'll see what happens with this U.S. men's national team. I always love looking forward to seeing them and kind of talking about MLS. I think MLS gets – I agree, though. I'm not discrediting you at all with the whole Jordan Moore should have gone to Europe. I completely agree, and any person should. But the U.S. and MLS always gets so much of a rap. I think it's interesting. I think we've talked about this on the pod before how it's a very, I guess, underrated league. People just have this persona that it, like, sucks. It's a retirement league. But, like, if you find a good game to watch, it's fun to watch. Um, so I just want to throw that out there. We forgot to mention this, and I want to mention this before I lose my train of thought. Spend a couple minutes on this. Um, when we were talking about the Premier League, I forgot to mention that Frank Lampard with Chelsea. Um, obviously, Chelsea, I couldn't tell you the exact placement they're in. Um, they are in ninth. Uh, very good, Chelsea. Really proud of you. But anyway, um, you spend a boatload of money in the transfer window, and you're supposed to be incredible, but you're simply not that. Um, Frank Lampard, I've, I've said this. I loved him at Derby. I thought he did great. You saw in his first year, he almost got him in the promotion. Um, I think he lost to Villa in, like, that playoff. In the semifinal, they lost to Villa, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So, obviously, I was hoping they'd win. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes to show if your first year as manager, you're almost leading this team to a promotion. That's a successful reign. Then not even doesn't even get a second, second stint goes to Chelsea. And I mean, I don't think he's done all that well to his, to be fair though. I don't think it's all his fault. I think that I've said this before. He was a, he was way too soon to have him coach this Chelsea squad. I think if he stayed with Darby, We'll talk about him later and did something like Steven Gerrard, who is doing bits and incredible with Rangers. Then I think that he would be incredible. And maybe in a couple of years when you've had managerial experience, you can then coach Chelsea. I think you rushed into it a little too fast. Do you agree with that? Thousand percent. And I think the situation that he was placing at Chelsea is, is very interesting because they had a transfer ban. So, so they bring this new coach in and he feels all this pressure to buy, buy, buy. So he scoops up like, it's like buying the fanciest sports cars that you see. You don't do any research, you just buy them because they look cool. You, you buy Timo Werner, you buy Kai Havertz. But 
the signings that he's made, you can argue that we haven't given them enough time, right? I, adjusting from the German game to the English game is obviously very difficult. Um, and then Edward Mendy has actually been fantastic. But um, I think that it's difficult to to see a lot of positives in, in, in Lampard's performance. He's been he's been solid, but I don't think he's been what Chelsea wanted because I don't they certainly do not want to be in the table with the likes of the same level as Aston Villa and Everton. They they would want to be top four and and it just hasn't been there. Um last game they played in the Prem against Manchester Manchester City, um completely outcoached by Pep Guardiola. Um he just kind of looked helpless out there. Um didn't adjust to anything that Pep did. Um City did not have a striker. They were rotating players in and out. So you'd see KDB up top. You'd say you'd see Raheem Sterling coming down the middle sometimes. And there's really no adjustment from Lampard. Um, so that was certainly uh, for a Chelsea fan would be a very disappointing game. And certainly uh, an indictment of the fact that Lampard just isn't ready to coach at this Premier League level. Agreed. And I want to talk about Steven Gerrard now because I mentioned him. I mean, Rangers is usually a second or third league team in the Scottish Premiership, and they're not even just first. They're first by a wide margin. What is it? Like 20 points? 19 points. Yeah, 19 points. points. Crazy. I mean, it's absurd. Steven Gerrard, I mean, when he got hired by Rangers, it was a pretty big deal at the time, but I've said this. I think it's kind of gone undershadowed or overshadowed in these last couple of uh, months, year, whatever you want to call it. And he's doing incredible. Not a lot of people are talking about it just because I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that league as a whole, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But it is not crazy at all to think that he's going to get a big-time job very soon. Yeah, no, I, I would expect that to happen. He's been fantastic. They're 20-2. They've won 20 games. They haven't lost yet. I mean, it is – is it's pretty absurd if if you look at the run he's on, um, best stretch in club history and a club that has a history as long as Rangers is just really impressive. So, um, yeah, if Frank Lampard were to move on from Chelsea, um, I think that he would certainly uh, be near the top of the list for him. I think Thomas Tuchel, guy we talked about last pod, um, certainly uh, would be on the list. I saw reports that Andre Shevchenko would be on the Chelsea list. Um, I don't know if they would hire another former player, uh, especially if they weren't satisfied with how Jared worked out. But yeah, he's been nothing short of fantastic. Or not Jared, sorry, how uh, how Lampard worked out. But Jared's been nothing short of fantastic for this Rangers squad. Uh, just uh, really incredible. Agreed. I think he's doing incredible, and I love seeing him succeed. Um, I hope he does get a big-time job, though. Can you imagine if he manages Chelsea, though? I mean, like, if he's that, facing that Liverpool, it'd be so weird, yeah. but... You that can't ignore the strange. fact that it could happen. Um, Thomas Tuchel, it should happen, but I do think I, – I seriously think he's going to hold off for the Germany job. That's my prediction. So we'll see with that. Um, to round this podcast up, though, really f- – because, you know, last week – how did we end the pod? With, like, the guy who got banned because he, like, did the, the celebration. celebration. Yeah, so <laughs> I'll drop another interesting fact here. Um, so the guys at Phenom were kind of just searching and looking at stuff. And who I, – I don't have his name up exactly, but the Inter Milan president, do you know the other name up right now? What is it? Yeah, Zhang? Steven, Steven Zhang. Steven Zhang. He is 29 years old, um, and he is a part of, a, of the majority stake 
in Inter Milan. So they bought it for 307 million, which equivalented to, I think, I think it was like they bought almost 70% of the club, like nearly two thirds of it. I think it so, was two thirds. Yeah. So me being, you know, the uh, math wizard I am, I mean, <laughs> incredible. I did some research for the pod to drop some facts on you guys. So um, we looked at it now and it is, up to 685 million euros. That was in March, 2020. I know the report just came out that they are losing money in the whole, will he sell? And he said, no, I'm not going to sell Inter Milan. So it's obviously down a little bit, but it, I just want to go to show if we were living in March, 2020 before this pandemic, um, Dude, what I would, what I would give to go back to March, 2020. Oh, me too, man. Without me COVID too. naturally, but exactly. But anyway, that- we're saying, that feels like it's like 10 years away. Oh, like that I feels know. like it's just in a different. I know. The one year anniversary time. of March, what is it? 12th is going to be so weird. It's, it's going to be strange. Anyway. Um, so in March, 2020 it rose to 685. Um, that was the overall value of the club. Remember he bought it for 307. So what I did was I did 385 divided by three. And then that was 228 times two, which gives you two thirds which is now 456. So in March, 2020, it was up to 456. And I'm just going to round for the sake of this. So technically it's 460 million euros. I think it is. So if he got it for four, if it's now worth 460 million euros, let's say he sold it then and he bought it for 307, then doing my amazing math, that would be 140, 153 million euros he would have off Inter Milan, and he's 29 Crazy years stuff. old. No 29 year old should have that much money. I'm 18. <laughs> Can you imagine 11 years? I have that much money. I would Dude, do. Uh, I just. I would do I stuff that should not be allowed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I just want it's, like I'm happy finding a five dollar bill on the ground. He doesn't care. Yeah, about that's that. money. That's money that you can't even comprehend. Like I like if someone set 150 million dollars in front of me in 20 dollar bills or something, I just. That is mind-boggling. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to see how he does, I'm sure. Assuming he keeps hold of the club, uh, yeah. he's got a lot, a lot of years in front of him. Uh, in charge and of who team. knows what the trajectory of Inter Milan is? I mean, you'd, you'd figure they're going to be a semi-decent club, um, and they're going to continue to be pretty successful. Obviously, you look at what they did in the Champions League a couple years ago, it's not quite up, or however many years ago, it's not exactly up to that, but mm. – Good club, and can you imagine, even if he's 50, 21 more years, how much money it's going to be? Don't want to think about it. I thought that was cool, though. Everyone here at Phenom are big fans of him. That is business at its finest. It certainly is. But that, with that, that's going to be the uh, Phenom World Football Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, me and Ethan are out.